I just wanted to thank so many of you for your prayers. Uh, as you know, uh, towards the end of December, many of you know I was battling with post-COVID pneumonia. was in the hospital for a number of days on oxygen, and there was a little bit of a time there where things weren't looking great. And uh, most of you that uh, reached out to me telling me you prayed for me, uh, I know uh, even in, in interacting with you since I've been back here that you just continued praying and continued praying, and I appreciate that uh, so much. And uh, this is the first opportunity I've had to preach since that time, and I'm very grateful this morning to be able to stand before you and open God's word, but thank you for praying, and uh, feel fantastic, might not look fantastic, can't do much about that, but I feel fantastic, and, uh, and so I'm glad to be able to be here to open God's word. We've been in this series in the Gospel of Mark, and we have been seeing Jesus teaching performing miracles, calling his disciples, and he has been busy up to this point. Uh, We're going to be in Mark chapter 6 this morning. To this point, Jesus has been teaching with authority that had never been seen and had never been heard, like the authority and power with which he was teaching. Uh, Jesus has been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons, cleansing lepers, allowing the paralyzed to walk, And giving life to the dead. Not too shabby of a record to this point as we jump into chapter 6. We've seen he's called his disciples to follow him as well. And in the first half of Mark chapter 6, where we're going to be this morning, we see Jesus sent out his disciples with great power as well. In verses 12 and 13, it says that the disciples went out and proclaimed that people should repent And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Jesus was working, busy, casting out demons, healing the sick and teaching. And the disciples were busy working, performing miracles and teaching as Jesus empowered them and instructed them to. Uh, We would read a little bit later on in Mark chapter 6, again in the first half, that Uh, that the disciples would hear of the death of John the Baptist, that John the Baptist would be executed because of his preaching of repentance. And that brings us to Mark chapter 6, verse 30, where we're going to spend our time this morning in verses 30 to 44 as we work through the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44 is our text. You can follow along. In God's word, it will also be on the screen behind me, Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. 
And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups and on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Again, this is an incredible passage that speaks of the incredible and miraculous work of Jesus. Uh, A true story, a true account. Uh, Many have heard, or most probably even have heard, of the feeding of the 5,000. You've probably heard of that, the feeding of the 5,000. Well, this is what is being referenced when someone says the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus, uh, who with very little food would be able to provide really what would amount to be a feast of more than they could even imagine to eat, with probably close, most scholars would agree, close to 20,000 people that day, 5,000 men which would be besides women and children. So most would uh, really estimate that that number is probably close to 20,000, not five, that he was able to feed here. This is an incredible, miraculous event that would take place. But as we examine this great account, I want us to remember the context that this is happening in, the condition of the disciples here, the condition of the crowd here. And I want us to notice the actions and words of Jesus And allow them this morning to influence and instruct us. I want us to understand what was going on in this context. The disciples, the crowd, Jesus. And allow that to instruct us and influence us. So this morning, what I'd like to do is point out four truths about Jesus. That we see in the passage before us. And in turn, give four challenges for you and I today as followers of Christ. Four truths we see about Jesus And then in turn, challenge each of us as followers of Christ today with four challenges. The first truth I'd like to point out about Jesus that we see in the passage this morning is this. Jesus cared deeply and sincerely for people. Jesus cared deeply and sincerely for people. If you look at verses 30 to 34 again with me for a moment, we see this great deep care and sincerity in which Jesus cared for people. So the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Remember, previously, we already touched on this, Jesus had empowered them to be able to go out and to preach. And they went out and they were preaching that people should repent and they were healing the sick and they were casting out demons. They were doing the work that Jesus called them to do. He said, listen, take nothing with you. Right, Go into a house and stay there if they will welcome you. If they won't, move on. But they were going about doing the work that Jesus had called them to do. Uh, They were busy about that work. And after doing that, they came back to Jesus. Jesus saw them and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Why? Well, verse 31 tells us, For many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Jesus saw the weariness, obviously, of his disciples. He knew the work that they were doing and the taxing work that it was. The crowds were so great and pressed so much that it says the the disciples of Jesus, they didn't even have time to eat. 
They were so busy doing the work that he had called them to do and ministering to the crowds and ministering to the people, teaching, performing miracles, healing, casting out demons, that they didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus recognized this and he said, listen, come away by yourselves for a while so that you can rest, so that you can eat, so that you can have some time to recover. Jesus cared greatly for them. Well, verse 33 says, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So Jesus tells them, come out on the boat. They go out onto the sea. They're traveling. People see the disciples and Jesus traveling, and they know where they're going, and so they run on land and beat them to the destination to which they were going because they wanted to be with and see Jesus. Now, previously, the crowds were pressing in to see Jesus and and certainly following the disciples performing the miracles they were performing and and reaching out in all the areas they were going, that would even cause a greater crowd to develop, a greater crowd to want to press in and see. And so here they were seeing them traveling and that brief respite, if you will, the disciples had for rest, to eat, maybe to sleep, I don't know, was going to be very short-lived. But I don't want us to miss, even from the outset, the sincerity and care that Jesus had for his disciples here. It would have been very easy after they were returning from their journey, after they were returning from ministering to people and caring for people and teaching people, for him to just say, hey guys, buck up, we got to keep going, we got to minister to people, there's a crowd here. But instead he cared sincerely and deeply for his disciples, wanting them to have that time for rest, to eat And to have that time before they again would dive into the crowds or the crowds would dive into them. So verse 33 tells us that the crowd got there ahead of them. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Here we see the crowd was following after Jesus And Jesus looked at them, and he looked at them with compassion because of the great need that they had. He had compassion. He cared deeply and sincerely for his disciples and for the crowd that was gathered here. Now, I want us to understand something I think is important here as Jesus demonstrates this deep care and sincerity and compassion on The crowd here. Jesus had compassion. He cared deeply and sincerely. He would soon, as we've already read, meet a tremendous need that was present for the crowd as he had already sought to meet a need that was present in his disciples. But understand, the crowd has nothing, zero, to offer to Jesus here. They have nothing to offer him. There is nothing from the crowd that Jesus needs to receive. Jesus is not lacking in any way, shape, or form here. Okay, Jesus isn't anticipating the crowd and thinking, man, I hope enough people show up because if they don't show up, we're going to have enough food to eat. He's not thinking, I hope enough people pack lunches because we need a lot of food to feed this many people. There's nothing that Jesus is needing from the crowd here. He's not going to be doing anything in order to receive something from the crowd. There was nothing that the disciples had to offer to Jesus here, as we'll soon see again. And yet, not because it would benefit him, not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but out of sincerity, 
Jesus would seek to meet needs that were present in this crowd. Have you ever been at the grocery store? Or if you're picking up something through the drive-thru and your total is given to you and the cashier says, would you like to round up to help such and such? Have you ever been in that position? Um, I was in that position the other day where I was picking up something and the total was $10.98. And the person was like, hi, would you like to round up to help? And they mentioned a charity and it's a, it's a solid charity, it's a good charity. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead, round that up. And I'm thinking like the two cents, round it up. And so I almost felt like guilty, like maybe you should tack on another dollar or something. Because I almost felt guilty that it was just two cents. Right? And, and have you ever been in a position, though, where they're like, do you want to round up? And it's a charity that you would not support, and it's two cents. And you're like, nope, I'm not rounding up the two cents out of principle. But when you walk away from that, you feel like almost like dirty. You almost feel like, like judged, right? Because it's like two cents, guy. Or if you only do the two cents and not more, it's like, should I have done more? Or it's the same concept, right, when Girl Scouts come. They're selling Girl Scout cookies and they're at your door, and they're like, would you like to buy a Girl Scout cookies? How do you tell, like, the little kid no? Okay? It's a brilliant, brilliant marketing by Girl Scouts of America because they send all the little kids out. Mister, would you like to buy some Girl Scout cookies? No! Like, you don't do that. There's an obligation, right? And the, the tagalongs, which are the peanut butter ones... Those are good. And so only because I care for the children would I do that, and I'd buy them. Okay? The point being, many times we are charitable. We are charitable, or we are giving, or we are sacrificial out of guilt, out of obligation, out of not wanting to look bad. Out of wanting to portray that we are something that maybe we're not in the eyes of others. In the case of Jesus, his seeking to help, to be compassionate, to provide, was always out of sincerity. Because no one could offer him anything. He didn't need anything from anyone. He's the son of God. And yet we see, just glaring off the pages here, the deep care and sincerity by which he cared for people. This is who our Savior is. This is who our Savior was and who our Savior is. He showed great care for his disciples, those that knew him and were close to him. He showed great care for strangers, the crowd those that did not know him, that had no relationship with him. Again, neither one could have anything to offer to Jesus. And can I encourage you with the same truth this morning, that you and I had nothing to offer to Jesus when he showed love and compassion to us. You and I, as enemies of God who sinned and fall short of the glory of God, have and had nothing to offer to Jesus. And yet he willingly went to the cross, willingly endured the death of the cross so that we might have life and we might have forgiveness. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior and you sit here thinking, I have nothing to offer to Jesus, you're right, you don't. Not one of us does, not one of us did, and yet he cares deeply 
and sincerely for you. Willing to endure the shame, the rejection, the cross, so that we might have life. Again, this was nothing new for Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, in another setting, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Consistently, time and time and time again, we'd be told in the word of God that Jesus would have compassion on those that were gathering, compassion on those that he was ministering to, compassion on those that had needs so ever-present in their lives. This was consistent for Jesus throughout his entire earthly ministry. He modeled this, and he has called us to follow him in this same way. So here's the challenge, challenge number one. We, as followers of Christ, should care deeply and sincerely for people, even as Jesus did. We, as followers of Christ, should care deeply and sincerely for people, even as Jesus did. I wonder, do we? Do we? Do we care deeply and sincerely for people, not because of what they might be able to do or give back to us, but because we are servants of the most high God and we want to glorify him. In Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36, Jesus would share and teach something that would really rock the world of those that were listening. He says, to those of you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Can you imagine the impact the church would make in this world if we cared deeply and sincerely for people as Jesus did? What an impact. What an impact. People would know that we are followers of Christ by our love, by our sincere care and deep care for others, even as Jesus sincerely cared for people. The second truth we see about Jesus is that Jesus responded with action to the spiritual and physical needs of others. Jesus responded with action to the spiritual and physical needs of others. Look at verses 34 to 37 again with me. It says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Verse 35, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. Jesus not only cared deeply and sincerely for people, but Jesus would respond in his care and sincerity for people with action 
to the spiritual and physical needs of others. Remember the purpose for which Jesus said he had come. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Don't miss what may be the most and is the most important time that that crowd would be receiving that day when they were in the presence of Jesus. When it says in verse 34, he began to teach them many things. You see, Jesus would offer them physical bread to fill their bellies in just a few moments, but what he was offering in his teaching was of far greater value for them that day. And we can tend to focus in on the miracle of Jesus in turning uh, these few loaves and fishes into enough food to be able to feed thousands and thousands of individuals. And that's great. That's miraculous. That's incredible. That shows the power of God. But don't miss the compassion and sincerity in which Jesus was teaching this crowd who was lost as sheep with no shepherd. He taught them many things. What would Jesus have taught them in that teaching of many things? We don't have the specifics laid out, but we have the consistent representation of Jesus to those he was speaking with, that he is the son of God, that I and my father are one, that he that has seen me has seen the father, that the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, Jesus cared so passionately and deeply for these individuals. And yes, he would soon meet a physical need. But first, and of greater value and of more importance, was the spiritual need that was present in every one of those that were there that day. If they are as sheep with no shepherd, they are lost. If you are here today and you are as a sheep without a shepherd, you are lost. And if Jesus were here right now physically in front of you as a sheep without a shepherd, he would be looking at you as he did this crowd with compassion and care. And that's the same way that I would ask you to consider the words of Jesus today when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That I am the good shepherd, Jesus said, and I lay down my life for my sheep. He has laid down his life so that we might have forgiveness. You see, Jesus cared deeply, and he responded with action to the spiritual and physical needs of others. He would teach them many things, many things concerning himself, concerning his purpose, concerning the way of forgiveness and life as he so consistently would teach with great power and authority throughout his whole earthly ministry. There was a need. We know ultimately Jesus would respond with action by offering up his very life as a sacrifice for the spiritual need that was present in every human being's life that has ever walked the face of this earth for the forgiveness of our sins. We're going to see Jesus do a miraculous thing here. We're going to read that people would be filled their physical hunger would be filled, that they would receive more than they would even need to be able to eat and fill themselves. But do you know, and we know this to be true, they would get hungry again. They would get hungry again. They would need to eat again. A little while later, we're going to read that Jesus is going to feed 4,000 with just some loaves and fish. Because the crowds would be hungry again and they would need to eat again and again and again. But listen to me this morning. 
If Jesus only came to meet physical needs, then we are still lost in our sins. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came only to meet physical needs, we are still in need of a Savior for our sins. But far greater than the physical food that Jesus was offering was the offering of his own body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. That is why we celebrate today. That is why we can stand today and proclaim that our God saves, that our Savior Jesus is alive, that we have a relationship with him, and that we have an eternal hope in him because he took action to meet the spiritual need that was present in every one of our lives. Some would say the most important part of this day in which Jesus would feed everyone was that he met a physical need that was present. That's not the most important thing that happened that day. The Son of God would be clearly showing himself to be who he said he is. The Son of God. And doing things only he could do. Teaching them, ministering to them, taking action to the needs that were present. Here's the challenge for you and I. We as followers of Christ should respond with action to the spiritual and physical needs of others. Just as Jesus did. We as followers of Christ should be actively responding with actions to the physical, physical and spiritual needs of others. Now, if we're honest, we're probably good at one or the other of those two things. If you're here today and you look at that, you're probably thinking, like, I can do a great job doing one of those. I, I'm great with meeting the physical needs, not so much the spiritual needs. Or I'm great with addressing the spiritual need that's present, but not necessarily the physical needs that are present. I mean, mission trips are a fantastic example of this. If you've ever been on a missions trip or part of a missions team, or if you've ever led a missions trip, you've ever participated in one, you know that there are really two groups of people on that trip. There are those that are all about meeting the physical needs that are present in a, in a really highly needed environment. People who love the giving out of a cup of cold water, right, to meet a need. People who are all about and love that compassionate side of things and being able to feed the hungry with food, building church buildings, digging wells, meeting medical needs, physical needs that are present. There are those that are gifted in service and they could do that. They're hospitable and they are, are, are excited to meet those needs that are present. And then there are those on the trip who they don't really care about all that. All they want to do is share the gospel with people. They're the ones that are maybe evangelists and they're like, all I want to do is share about Jesus. All I want to do is tell people about the gift of salvation that's available through Jesus. And so when they think about missions trips, they don't necessarily get excited about passing out bottles of water, but they get super excited about opening God's word and sharing the gospel with people. There are both. There, there are people who are strong in both of those areas. But listen, we as followers of Jesus Christ need to be responding with action both to the spiritual and physical needs of others. We need both. Both are important. Both are valuable. We're called to do both. Care for the physical well-being of people. When I say the physical needs, I mean the present needs they have in this world, but also never neglect caring for the spiritual needs that are present in people as well. Yes, care for the spiritual needs of people, but not neglecting to care for the physical as well. And I think that this is important because sometimes we can tend to do one and completely do away with the other or do the other and completely do away with the one, and, and we need both. But I do feel like it's important for us to understand something, that any time our care for the physical well-being of others, that again is the needs that are present in this physical life, causes us as followers of Christ to distort, shy away from, hold back, or be ashamed of the eternal and authoritative word of God, we're out of balance. 
Let me say that again because I, I didn't pronounce that right. Anytime our care for the physical well-being of others, that is the needs of this present physical life, causes us to distort, shy away from, hold back, or be ashamed of the eternal and authoritative word of God, we are out of balance. God never calls us as followers of Christ to so prioritize the physical, this side of eternity, well-being of others that we shy away from boldly proclaiming the truth of the word of God. God is never so concerned with the physical things that it would cause us to distort or shy away from caring for the spiritual needs of others. And oftentimes today as followers of Christ, we can be guilty of compromising biblical truth out of the umbrella of compassion or the umbrella of what is loving to others in the present physical life they live. That must never be the case. You see, Jesus was, yes, meeting physical needs, but he cared so much more deeply about their spiritual needs. It's never compassionate or loving for us as believers to allow others to be deceived in their sin. It's never compassionate or loving to withhold or distort the truth of God's word from those who are under God's wrath because of sin. If I was lost in my sin today as I once was, I would want someone to warn me of the destruction that my sin brings. I would want to know the truth that my sin leads to death and that God has offered a way of escape. If you're lost in your sin today, I want, you to, t- I want to tell you, don't get hung up on rules, laws, don't do this or don't do that. I want to remind you that Jesus came today to address your spiritual need that is present. That Jesus has taken care of that. That all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus has taken care of the righteous demands of our holy God by offering his own body for you, for me. And so if you're here today and you are lost in your sin, would you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Would you call upon the name of the Lord for salvation? Jesus responded to the physical and spiritual needs of others with action. So too should we. We should be about that same work. Third truth about Jesus, Jesus can do and offer what no one else can. Jesus can do and offer what no one else can. Look at verses 37 to 42. He answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Can we stop for a minute? Because here's the scenario here. Jesus is going to do and offer what no one else can. Jesus tells the disciples here, you give them something to eat. We're talking about probably upwards of 20,000 people. Okay, he looks at his followers. He's like, you guys give them something to eat. And they're like, what? (laughs) Like there's 20,000 people. (laughs) There's 20. You want us to What? And they're like, you want us to go buy 200 denarii of bread? And, and most would agree that's between six to eight months wages. Six to eight months. So over half a year. One, your translation you have might actually say half a year's bread. 
uh, or over half a year's bread or wages. Um, Jesus is telling them to give them something to eat. And they're like, Jesus, like, we, we can't. How, how in the world could we do this? And then Jesus asks, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. They find out they said five and two fish. Now, if I'm one of the disciples, and again, this is conjecture. This isn't in the passage. But if I'm one of the disciples, and, and Jesus is like, you give them something to eat. And they're like, Jesus, we can't. You know how much this would cost to do this? We can't do this. And he's like, well, how many loaves and fish do you have? And they come back with like five and two, Jesus. Like, you're coming back thinking like, oh, yeah, five and two. What are we going to do now, right? And Jesus Here's how many they have. There's zero panic with Jesus. You, they talk about, they talk about like um, in, the, in the playoffs, the NFL playoffs, they kept referring to quarterbacks, in particular Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills, as having ice, <laughs> ice in his veins. Ice in his veins. And what that means is under the greatest amount of pressure, in the most pressured situation, he is cool, calm, collected. He doesn't panic. Instead, he throws 75-yard touchdown passes. And he does that, and, and he's cool. He's calm. There's ice in his veins. Is there anyone who exhibits ice in his veins in the midst of pressured situation more than Jesus? He did not get flustered. He does not panic. There's never been a situation in which Jesus has been in where he's panicked. Look what it says. How many loaves do you have? Five and two and he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, sat them down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Even that, hundreds and fifties, all these groups. If I'm one of his disciples, I'm like, what is he doing? He's getting everybody to sit down in groups of fifties and, and hundreds. Even if there was just one group of hundred, five loaves and two fish, upwards of 20,000 people. Again, this is a, just a side note. I love that the passage says here, Jesus commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. I love that that detail's in there. I love that. Immediately made me think of Psalm 23, where he leads his sheep in green pastures. I don't know if that's why that's in there. Just, it, it was interesting to me. Jesus talks about them being sheep without a shepherd. He's about to meet a very present physical need. He's talking about the spiritual needs. And, and Mark goes into the detail of telling us he had them all sit down in green grass, which is just, that's just neat to me. I don't know why it's there. Maybe to tell us about the time of year. There was still green grass before it would get brown. But he has them all sit there and he takes the five loaves and the two fish. Verse 41, looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples and set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Look at verse 42. Jesus can do and offer what no one else can do. Verse 42, and they all upwards of 20,000 people ate and were satisfied. They all, 5,000 men besides women and children, they all ate and were satisfied. I don't think I'm, I'm going out on a limb to say there was no one in that crowd, not one of his disciples, that when they saw Jesus with five loaves and two fish thought, Jesus is just going to multiply this and feed all 20,000 people and we're going to take up baskets, leftovers. No one was thinking that. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. I think this passage is an incredible reminder that Jesus can do and offer what no one else is able to do and can offer what no one else can offer. They could do nothing about the need. Jesus not only would meet and fulfill the need that was present, he would go above and beyond that. They would take up baskets of leftovers. 
In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus can offer what no one else can offer. He can offer to you forgiveness of sins and life, relationship with the Father. No one and nothing else can offer that to you today. In Acts 4.12, we read, Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, only Jesus. No one else can offer to you what Jesus can offer. No one else had the capabilities to do what Jesus has done. And that work is finished. Challenge for you and I today, we as followers of Christ should consistently be pointing others to Jesus. Listen, you and I as followers of Christ cannot meet the spiritual needs fully of people. Only Jesus can do that. And so we must be consistently pointing others to Jesus. Jesus would say, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. We must consistently be pointing others to the one who can do and has done what no one else can do. Quickly, the fourth truth about Jesus. Jesus can do far greater things than we could ever ask or imagine. Verses 42 to 44, they, took, they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Uh, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're facing today. But I want you to know, and I can promise you, that Jesus is greater than whatever it is you're facing today. I don't know what you're struggling with, but I can promise you Jesus is greater. He can do greater things than we can ask or imagine. This passage, miraculous, what Jesus did. It's miraculous. No one can do what Jesus has done. No one could accomplish what Jesus has accomplished. No one can offer what Jesus offers. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if he's not your savior, I want to tell you today, you can know him and he can be your savior. When you call upon the name of the Lord, the word of God says you'll be saved. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. He wants you to come to him. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we're going to close by singing a, a song that speaks about Jesus being our living Hope, And as we sing that, if you don't know Christ, don't hesitate to come down front. Find me. I'm, I'm going to be right over here, standing right here. You come down front if you need to have a relationship with Jesus. And you need to accept what Jesus is offering that no one else can offer. If you're a believer today, this should be a sense of great encouragement as we read this passage. That our God can do far greater things than we could ever ask or imagine. In the face of uncertainties we face today, Jesus remains our hope. In the face of doubts and fears, Jesus remains our hope. In the, in the face of pain and loss, Jesus is our hope. In this life, in the face of sickness and even death, Jesus is our hope. In the face of persecution, rejection and evil, in the face of temptation and sin, Jesus is our hope. In the face of a culture that hates God, in the face of chaos, compromise and all sorts of attempts to destroy his great name Jesus remains our hope that will not change he's our eternal hope and our eternity through Jesus Christ is secure because that's what Jesus has done and that's what Jesus offers even today he is our living hope might we be found faithful in doing even as Jesus has done might we be found faithful in proclaiming to all of the world around us who he is, what he's done, 
and what he's going to continue to do for his glory and his glory alone.